0: Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, April 28th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-617. 282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you game six tonight at the TD Garden as the Celtics look to keep their season alive and force a game seven, which would be Saturday night in Atlanta. I'm already, I've already kind of moved on from game six. In fact, I don't even really remember remember game five. When game five ended. Like, the moments after that game ended, like, you think back to what happened in that game the other night in Atlanta, and it's just, it was such a blur, just such a terrible game, just such a no-show from the Boston Celtics that, I mean, you just got to move on. You're coming home. You got to take advantage of having a fan base and a building that's going to be rocking tonight. The TD Garden, we saw it in games three and four. We saw how this Celtics team, you know, how they feed off the energy in that building, I expect it to go the same way tonight as it did in games three and four, and I expect there to be a game seven. I do. I really do. Now, it's going to take more than just feeding off the energy because there are some things that did happen in game five that need to change tonight regardless of what the crowd's doing for you. And first and foremost, all eyes are on Isaiah Thomas. He rolled the ankle at the end of game five, some people wanted to come out and criticize Brad Stevens as to how he handled that situation with the game essentially being over, the Hawks running away with it, and yet Brad Stevens still had some of his top dogs on the court. I told you, I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it because that's that's just what we've seen from the Celtics team. That's what they're used to doing. They're used to keeping those guys on the court late in games, even when it looks like those games are over because they've had so many Uh, situations not just this season but even going back to last year late in the season in which they were down and out all of a sudden they get a couple turnovers and hit a couple big buckets from their top dogs and they're back in a game and they're fighting their way to a potential comeback I mean that's just what this Celtics team does I have no problem if they don't want to get away from that and and they didn't now it's unfortunate that Isaiah Thomas rolled his ankle but from everything that we're hearing, he's going to play tonight in this one. I told you yesterday, I even without really seeing an in-depth injury report on Isaiah Thomas's ankle or diagnosis, he's, I told you he's going to play. He's going to play in this game tonight. Here's what needs to happen with Isaiah Thomas. He cannot be held scoreless in any half in this game. He can't even be held scoreless for a quarter tonight. If you tell me that there's going to be even one quarter of this game tonight in which Isaiah Thomas won't have a bucket, I'll tell you the Celtics are going to lose. And if you tell me there'll be an entire half in which Isaiah Thomas will not have any points, I'll tell you the Celtics will lose. Isaiah Thomas cannot be held scoreless in, a, in an entire half, like he was in the first half of Game 5, the Celtics will not win that game. I don't care what the crowd's doing for you, but I guess you hope that the crowd can, uh, can help someone like Isaiah Thomas. You know, really turn it up a notch, even if he's dealing with an ankle injury. This Celtics team, what they needed to do in Game 5 is they needed to have this killer instinct when they were up 29 to 19 in the second quarter and Atlanta couldn't hit anything. The Celtics had opportunities coming down the court to, to not get complacent, to not say, Hey, we're up 10. We can take a couple crazy shots and we'll still have this cushion. Knowing We have a 10 point lead. They can't have that mindset. If they go up 10 in this game at any point and Atlanta's not hitting their shots, the Celtics need to take advantage of that. And they need to turn on that killer instinct, and they need to put the game away and put the Hawks away. The Celtics on the road had a chance to do that in the second quarter, and and I just can't get over the fact that once they got that ten point lead, and Atlanta couldn't hit anything, and you had your foot on their throat, you just they were taking stupid shots, making stupid decisions. They got complacent, and they were not playing with that killer instinct. If they can play with that killer instinct tonight, which I think they will in their own building. I think they keep this a ball game going into the fourth quarter, late in the final minutes, and and as we saw in Game Four, you can pull that one out. So I expect the Celtics to win tonight. I expect there to be a Game Seven. We were talking about it today, and and I, I my mindset's I'm already on the Game Seven. Like I'm so confident the Celtics are going to win this one tonight that that I'm just I'm there. I'm there. Bring me get me to Saturday night. Get me to Saturday night in Atlanta because it's it's in that game that the killer instinct is going to have to, you know, be put into place even more from the Celtics team that so far in this series have not been able to go into Atlanta and win for whatever the reason, you know, there's a, a lack of emotion in that building and it hasn't been good for the Celtics. They'll need to find a way Saturday night to turn it on. You got to get there first. I know I'm just that confident in this Celtics team that they will get there Uh, so whatever happens tonight, I'll break down this game on tomorrow's podcast. As you know, I'm here five days a week, uh, looking at the line and, and the spread Atlanta is a two point favorite in this one tonight, two point favorite. So take the Celtics, take the two points. You want to take the Celtics money line, take the Celtics money line. I think they're winning the game. I do. I think they're winning the game. Now outside of Isaiah Thomas, some of the other things that I'll be looking for. I mean, I expect. I expect the starting lineup to still be Evan Turner and Jonas Jarebko. Look, Jarebko, what did he take, four shots in game five? And the previous two games, Jerebko was hitting some of the biggest shots for this team in the biggest moments. Jarebko needs to—if he's going to be in this game, in the starting lineup, getting minutes, he needs to take more than four shots. I'm sorry, he does. So Jarebko needs to take more than four, and he obviously needs to hit him. Now, you'd like to see— some early production in this game tonight from Jay Crowder. I think, like you saw in Game Four, when he hit a couple early threes. I think that really, most importantly, and and you know what, we might be to the point where Brad Stevens says I can't even give Jared Sullinger Jared any minutes because he he's not earning them. And and look, how could I how could I complain with that? I can't. But I have been calling all season long for Jared Sullinger. To put on his big boy pants, get physical underneath the basket, get some offensive rebounds, get some second chance points. And I think that the, the, when Jared Sullinger is finishing around the rim and he's grabbing offensive rebounds and he's boxing people out and he's playing physical and and he's and he's got some nice hands in that game, not taking outside shots. I mean, you know he's going to take a couple if he's in the game. I don't ever like seeing him. He has the potential to hit him, but it's not a guarantee so I'd rather just not see him take them. I guess if he's if you're giving him minutes, you know you're going to see a couple. A couple outside shots from Selinger. They might go in. Who knows? But I'd prefer him not do that. Underneath the basket, Selinger needs to... I talk about killer instinct. Jared Selinger needs to have a killer instinct underneath the basket tonight if he's going to get minutes. The problem is he might have played himself... Out of, the, out of the lineup completely to the point where they're only putting him in tonight in a must-win game if he got foul trouble or if you really need to give someone a break. I, I don't know how Brad Stevens is going to handle that. I don't know if he has any confidence in Jared Selinger. I'd like to see Selinger obviously get a shot to have that killer instinct, but if he doesn't and, and Brad Stevens doesn't have any confidence in him right now, how could you blame the coach? You can't. Selinger has been terrible absolutely horrendous but uh, he he's he's always been sort of an x-factor for me not just in this series but throughout the season every single night that this Celtics team steps on the floor I feel like when Selinger has one of those games in which he has the potential to give you anywhere from 16 to 18 points with 10 to 12 rebounds this Celtics team can roll with that and and I think some things open up when he's able to do that so I mean he, to me, Sellinger really is a major X factor. I, I guess I just don't know what type of minutes he's going to get because, let's be honest, he hasn't earned them. you got to earn your minutes in a playoff series. And we're to the point now, must-win game, what's the rotation going to be like? Look, if Rozier doesn't see the court, I am not going to complain. If Kelly Olynyk doesn't see the court tonight, I'm not going to complain. I mean, we might be to the point where, you know, you're giving us a six, seven-man rotation max. But you gotta be okay with it at this point of the season. It's a must-win game tonight. You don't win, the season's over. That's it. That's it. You don't need me to tell you that. You know how these things work. Brad Stevens knows how they work too. So, but I think they'll find it. I think Isaiah will find it. I think someone like Evan Turner is gonna find it. I think Amir Johnson's gonna get some more minutes tonight, and I think you'll see Jerebko Jureb- take some more shots. And um, I-, I think he'll end up hitting some of those. And of course, how can you not mention Marcus Smart? You don't forget about the type of game he had in game four at the very end. Uh, you know, you know, Smart needs to play ferocious. He needs to forget about flopping and just be aggressive. And that aggressiveness, sometimes it's going to hurt them. But what, you know, what they preach with him, and I guess what you can't really, can't really disagree with is, you know, there's good that comes with the bad. You know, there's good and bad with him. But they're asking him to stay aggressive throughout it all. Because they know that even when he's aggressive and it's bad, they know that if he stays aggressive and stays ferocious and stays a little crazy out there, eventually they're going to get the good. You saw that at the end of game four. And I think you hope for that again tonight. Basically, you just, you take your chances. As long as Marcus Smart is playing like an animal out there for the entire game, then, you know, you, you basically take what he gives you. And, and you hope that you get more good than bad. I think he will tonight. I think the Celtics in their own building, I think they win this one against Atlanta and force a game seven on Saturday night. So find the killer instinct. Isaiah Thomas, I mean, it can't get any worse for him in the first half tonight than it was in the first half of game five. He had zero points in the first half of game five. That's not going to happen again. That's not. It won't happen again. And the Celtics win tonight. It's, this is the only NBA playoff game tonight. This Celtics-Hawks game. Now... There were three NBA playoff games last night. Charlotte beat Miami in Miami. The Hornets have a 3-2 to two series lead. I won't lie, and I've said this a couple times. I've yet to really watch any of this series. I have. I think, you know, if Charlotte gets by Miami, Charlotte's a six seed, Miami's a three seed. They play the winner of Toronto Indy. Uh, the Toronto Indy game 6 in Indy is going to be tomorrow night, Friday night. The time is still to be determined. I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana comes home, wins that one, and forces a game seven back in Toronto. But the bottom line is this. Charlotte, if they can get by Miami, they're either playing Toronto or Indy. I don't think that's an impossible matchup in the second round. I really don't. I I do not buy into this idea that Toronto is this scary NBA playoff team. I just don't buy into it. I think you're kind of seeing that now as – uh, they're not they're not just taking care of the paces. The paces are, are are keeping them honest they're they're saying to Toronto, we're a seven seed, sure, but we can beat you, and we might even force a game seven i I think Indy will force a game seven and And I think if you're Charlotte, you know this is that's why this is why i I said, and I stressed all year long that the three seed was so very important. You get that three seed, you can win that first round as a three seed but 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 I said even a 6 when 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 you found out they weren't going to get the 3 and they were the Celtics were in that dogfight at the end of the season with Miami with Atlanta with Charlotte to see who was going to get 3 uh Toronto had basically sealed the deal on the 2 seed and as we know Cleveland sealed the deal on the 1 seed but I uh, even when it when it came time when it, when basically you knew the Celtics weren't going to get 3 in the last what last game or two I I told you that I'd be okay with the Celtics getting the sixth seed. I would. In fact, I'd prefer the six over the five, not just for the first-round matchup against Atlanta or, or playing Miami or Charlotte, for the second-round matchup with the set brackets because the winner of Atlanta-Celtics, the Hawks and the Celtics, you got to play Cleveland in the second round. The winner is Charlotte-Miami? Like, if you're Charlotte, you lead the series three games to two, you get to the second round, you're sitting there watching Toronto and Indy, Indiana, who are you playing? that's are you really scared of either of those teams in a second round series? I wouldn't be. That's your best. That's best case scenario for you. So Charlotte finds themselves. I think if they can pull this one out in a great situation to get to a conference final and, uh, you know, we, we saw them towards the end of the season. They are an exciting team. They don't, you know, I don't think they're this group that has all this star power. Of course, it, it's just, they're a scrappy bunch. And you're seeing that right now in this Miami series. but. I haven't watched too much of it. But Charlotte leads it three games to two. It's just you look at the bracket, I've watched more Toronto Indy, enough of that series to know that I don't I don't look at Toronto or Indy as being a serious, serious threat to make a serious run. So they they're both beatable, Toronto and Indy, which is a good thing for either Charlotte or Miami. Uh whatever one of those two teams moves on to the second round. So Charlotte won last night, 90-88. to 88. And then you got the Portland Trailblazers beat the Clippers, 108-98. Clippers are just, you see Doc Rivers, I mean, it's, I, I feel terrible for Doc Rivers. I feel awful. I know he got real emotional before the game, um, thinking about his mother, and, you know, thats it's sad to see, obviously. but. You know, put that aside for a minute and just think of Doc Rivers, the coach, and what he's dealing with with this roster. I mean, come on. You lose Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in the same game? And that's it. They're done. <laughs> that's it. That's the season. I don't care who else you got on this roster. You lose Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. It's over. Maybe you can squeeze by Portland. But it looks now, after watching last night, they can't even do that. Portland won it last night. 108-98. to The Trailblazers take a 3-2 to series lead. And let's say Clippers somehow win the next one in Portland and force a game seven back in L.A. I mean, would you put your money on the Clippers to win game seven without Chris Paul and Blake Griffin? I don't care where the game is. No, I wouldn't put my money on the Clippers in that one. I'd just tell you to stay away. Portland's a scrappy bunch. So, you know, Clippers, they might not even get out of the first round. It's over. That's, those are some devastating injuries. If you're Doc Rivers, you've got to be thinking to yourself, you got to be shitting me. We're going to lose Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in the same game, and they're going to be out, one with a broken hand, one with the quad. They say quad for Blake Griffin. It looks like it points to his knee. I mean, look, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. But it's not good. He's out for the postseason. Clippers are done. That's just. And 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 before they get hurt, I mean, your eyes light up because you know you're playing Golden State in the second round if you win your first round series, and you know that Steph Curry is going to be out for a little bit. It's and then all of a sudden your guys get hurt. Ah, oh, devastating stuff for the Clippers. I do. I feel bad for them. I really do. And and I saw some pictures of the crowd last night on Twitter in LA for this play for a playoff game. Did stop showing up. They stopped showing up. I mean. You can call them fair weather fans all you want. I just think that's a depressing situation. The Clippers have been a depressing organization for years. And you finally got a little hope. And you get, you know, you get yourself all jacked up for a for a potential run. You got Blake Griffin back late in the season. Uh, Chris Paul is playing great basketball. You went out, you, you brought back DeAndre Jordan in that drama filled offseason with Mark Cuban and Dallas, right? And that's whole situation. Uh, You got a couple other key pieces there. You're feeling good if you're the Clippers. Especially when you see that Steph Curry might not be available for a second-round series against you. And then you get hit with that. Then you get hit over the head with a hammer. Which is Chris Paul injury and Blake Griffin injury. And they're not coming back. And that's it. It's some devastating, devastating stuff. It is. It's depressing. So I can't imagine what it's like to be a Clipper fan. So I'm not going to sit here and knock him for not showing up. I really can't do it. Because I don't know I don't know how I would react to that. I, I really don't. I mean, there's no way. If you're a Clipper fan, you lose Paul, you lose Griffin. There is no way you actually think you're going to win. There's no way. There's no way. Absolutely no way. So Clippers lose last night. Portland leads the series three games to two. The final game of the night was Golden State, Houston. Their game five in Golden State. Of course, no Steph Curry. Doesn't matter. Warriors win it 114 to 81. The Houston Rockets nightmare is over. And that's I, I mean, everything that we thought was true when you watch them, as I've talked about. How they hate each other. Every single player on that Rockets team, it looks like they despise each other. They don't want to be on the court together. They don't give each other high fives. They don't help each other off the court when they get fouled and knocked to the ground. They don't celebrate when James Harden hits a game-winning shot in a playoff game against Golden State to win it. I mean, it's, it's it's awkward to watch. And after the game last night, all this stuff comes out. Dwight Howard's not going to have any say in the new coach. He's got the player option. He can leave if he wants. James Harden will have a say in the new coach. Harden and Howard hate each other. No shit. I mean, the whole team hates each other, but we're seeing that now. Houston's nightmare is over. Golden State wins. They win the series in five games. Warriors move on now and look uh, to see who they play, either the Clippers or the Trailblazers, and that's what we had Last night in the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. You had two games last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, first and foremost, well, it was weird because you had the first game of the night was a game one in the second round. And the Islanders beat Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay 5-3. to Islanders lead that series one to nothing. That's game one of the second round the second game of the night it's almost like going back in time you go to a first round series a game seven of the first round in the western conference Nashville and Anaheim I told you I I took Anaheim but that's just because I mean I'm I don't think Nashville's this big scary team where I would feel confident you know it's not like It's one thing to pick the Blackhawks going into St. Louis for that Game 7. You know what the Blackhawks have done historically. You know what type of team they are. And they had won the previous two games. They were rolling. They look great. They're the defending champs. You got to think that some of their superstar players were just due to break out in that series. Because they hadn't really done much outside of the Patrick Kane, um, you know, the game winner that one night. A couple games before then. But, I mean, I just took Anaheim, the home team. And... I don't regret it, but they lost. Anaheim loses at home in Game 7. Nashville wins. Nashville moves on as a wild card. They will now play the San Jose Sharks, but those are the two games in the Stanley Cup playoffs that we had last night. We're going to get one Stanley Cup playoff game tonight on this Thursday night. 8 o'clock, NBC Sports Network, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Washington Capitals open up their second-round series. This is real. This is Ovechkin versus Crosby. If you've watched, You know, and and this is... It's not just that dynamic, though. It's not just Ovechkin versus Crosby. That's a huge storyline. No question about it. I mean, I have the Capitals winning the Cup. And the reasons I have for it is I just expect at some point Ovechkin is going to go on a serious run. I think I've picked the... Have I picked the Capitals to win it now two straight years? Yeah, I think I have. It's just at some point... Don't you think Ovechkin's going to make a run? And if he does make a run... He's going to need help, though. And he seems to be getting the help, and he's getting the help in all the right places that you need help during this time of year, which is from your goaltender. Braden Holpe is the top goalie in the world, and I don't even think it's up for debate. Um, So the Capitals, they went out and made moves, too. I, I mean, I think the Capitals got it all. Pittsburgh, though, they're an interesting team to the point where you always kind of knew they had this potential to to break out offensively. Like, they have offensive stars all over the place. Not just uh, at the forward position, but also defensively. They got some guys that can put the puck in the net on the blue line. Uh, they are a dangerous team when you got all those guys and all that star talent turning it on offensively. I mean, I'll take the hot goaltender over the the star-studded offensive roster any day of the week, but there's no denying what Pittsburgh, you know, the punch that Pittsburgh packs with their offense I'm still gonna take the Capitals. I'm I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with Hopi, and uh, but this is gonna be a fun series. Like I, I I don't as much of a hockey guy as I am. It's tough for me to get wrapped up in one specific series when the Bruins aren't playing, especially when the Bruins don't make the playoffs. Because it's sort of you know I I, I just it's somewhat depressing. Like I I I want the Bruins to be playing and they're not. So I I. I don't follow an entire series like with all of my heart like I would if it's the B's. Um, but this one is maybe a little different. Like Pittsburgh, Washington, Crosby, Ovechkin, I think, I think they might have me locked into this one. They might. We'll see. Game one is tonight, 8 o'clock, NBC Sports Network. So that's what we have in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'll react to that stuff uh, on tomorrow's podcast. And also tonight, if you care, you know, if... Because we just... I mean, my main focus is really going to be in the Celtics. So even tonight, I say Pittsburgh, Washington. I'll keep my eye on it. But my, my priority, as you know, is Celtics Hawks tonight at the Garden. Uh, will I watch the NFL draft? I mean, the NFL drafts tonight, the first round, primetime, Thursday night. I don't like how they do this, but they do it anyways. It, does anybody care? Maybe this is a question for people in New England. Do you care? like the, the people in New England care about tonight, the Patriots don't have a pick. They don't have a first round pick. So even if they did have a pick, it would not be an early pick. Uh, I don't think I'd watch the whole draft. I, I'd still be watching the Celtics and I'd be paying attention, paying attention maybe on Twitter to what the Patriots do. Right. That's what I'd be doing. So, I honestly don't give a shit about the NFL draft tonight. Like, they're going over... The Rams have the number one overall pick. They traded up for that. The Eagles have the number two pick overall. They traded up for that. The two guys we're talking about, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, are both quarterbacks. To me, that's not even the most intriguing part of draft night. To me, the most intriguing part is what the Eagles now do with Sam Braffitt. That's like the drama that... If the if I'm interested in anything that happens tonight, it's it's the reaction that Sam Bradford's going to have when the Eagles are sitting there when Jared Goff gets taken one overall by the Rams and the Eagles are sitting there and they take the quarterback Carson Wentz and Sam Bradford's sitting there going, okay, you know, just like I said the other day, I'm I'm demanding a trade. I'm 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 getting out of here. I want out. I mean, do you blame Sam Bradford? I'm not the biggest Sam Bradford fan in the world. In fact, I wouldn't want him as my starting quarterback. But they did commit to him as the starting quarterback. And if I'm Bradford, I'd be a little upset as well. We all would. You're gonna tr- Because it's not like the Eagles had the number two overall pick. That's a different story. The Eagles went out of their way and gave up a shitload of to get to the number two overall pick, and they didn't make that move. You think the Eagles made that move, gave up all those picks to take a offensive lineman, number two overall for Sam Bradford? No, I'm sure Sam Bradford probably would love them to do that, but that's not why the Eagles made that move. They made that move because they knew if they didn't, they wouldn't get their hands on one of these two quarterbacks that would be going one and two. And if they didn't trade up for it, Somebody else would, with the purpose of taking one of these two quarterbacks, right? So, the from everything I read, the Rams are going to take Goff. Wentz is sitting there. Eagles straight up for number two. What are they going to do? Not take Wentz? They're going to take Wentz. That's not even the most intriguing part. The most intriguing part is, what do they do with Sam Bradford? Because if I am the Eagles now, I just put you in the shoes of Sam Bradford. I wouldn't like what they do. But if I'm the Eagles... Maybe this was my strategy in the first place. And maybe my strategy now is to take Sam Bradford and get a pick for him. You know? And and what you do then is maybe you get a pick back from what you traded to get up to number two. You got your young quarterback of the future. And maybe at the end of the day, you didn't lose as many picks as you initially thought you would when you traded up to get Wentz. I think they trade Bradford. I think they should trade Bradford. And I, you know, I don't blame Sam Bradford for being upset. I think we'd all be upset if we were in his situation. It's one thing, again, if the Eagles had the number two overall pick anyways and Sam Bradford was and knew about this the whole time. No, they made the move to go up and get that number two pick. And it was a blockbuster trade. And they gave up an awful lot. And you don't give up an awful lot and move up to number two to take an offensive lineman. Like, they're taking a quarterback. It's going to happen. If I'm Bradford, I wouldn't be too happy with that. But ultimately, outside of that drama, what did? What do you? What what do you really care about when it comes to the NFL draft tonight in the first round? To me, it's just a tease because now you don't get the rest of the draft till the weekend. It's like, I, I that's why I don't like it. Like I want the draft. The draft should be a Saturday, Sunday, all all weekend affair. That's what it should be, and it's not. And it's prime time tonight. And maybe maybe I'm a little bit bitter about this tonight because the Patriots don't have a pick in the first round. Maybe. So if you're thinking that right now, maybe you're right. That's why I'm a, I'm a little bitter to it. But I'm not, a, I'm not a big NFL draft guy anyways. I don't really get into it that much. I pay attention to it. Like, I'll watch the NBA draft before I watch the NFL draft. Um, Like, in its entirety. Mainly because the NBA draft's only two rounds. I don't even watch the NHL draft. I don't. And who, and I mean, I think they just started putting the baseball Major League Baseball draft. Uh, the Major League Baseball draft. They got a couple different things going on with that. So I I don't pay attention to that either. Sometimes you you want to take a look at the top pick overall and see what he could turn out to be. Usually some stud pitcher. But really the only draft I pay attention to is the NBA. Like the only one I'll sit there and watch the whole thing is the NBA draft. And tonight Patriots don't pick in the first round, so part of me upset because of that. The other part is I just, outside of the Goff, Wentz, and then what happens with Sam Bradford and Philly after they take a quarterback, I really could give a shit less about the draft tonight. I don't care. I really don't. And, of course, the reason the Patriots do not have a first-round pick is because it got taken from them as part of the gate punishment. Which, as you know, earlier this week, um, the suspension for Tom Brady that goes along with that punishment, the four-game suspension, was reinstated. was reinstated earlier this week when a federal appeals court ruled that it must be reinstated. Now, I'm sure you've heard this already. And if you haven't, go back to my podcast on Monday and listen to my reaction to it because I flipped out a couple times. I've been very upset about this. Tom Brady since, and the NFLPA, they've come out and said they are going to continue to fight this, and with that, Roger Goodell is now making his rounds, and basically is going on different media outlets and different shows, and talking to different reporters, and he's basically celebrating his victory, that's right, Roger Goodell is celebrating his Deflate Gate victory, even though Brady and the NFLPA, they say they're going to fight it. Look, I'm not a legal analyst. I, I don't know how they can fight it or to what level they can take this or how long the fight's going to be or if Brady will ever serve in suspension. I don't have the answers to that yet. What I do know is that Brady's going to fight it. There'll be no settlement. Like, you're hearing reports. You heard reports last night in which Roger Goodell, while he's making his media rounds, he's saying, well, we're not going to settle with Brady. What's done is done. Well, that, that's great that you say that. But when they report it like that, it makes it sound like Brady's team in the NFLPA is looking to settle. They're not looking to settle. So the NFL coming out and Roger Goodell saying that that they won't settle is kind of a meaningless comment because nobody's trying to settle with you, so why would you even say that? So those reports are a little deceiving. Don't read those reports and think, oh, NFLPA is trying to settle. Uh, Brady's trying to make this cut this down to two games, knowing he's going to lose, and he's not going to fight this anymore— and Goodell says, no, he won't settle. That's not it. No. Brady, NFLPA, they're not looking to settle. They're not going to settle. Brady, Because any type of settlement is basically an admission of guilt. It is. Brady Brady is not going to sit there and settle. He's going to fight this. Again, I don't know how long they can fight it for. I don't know to what extent they can fight this. But they w- there will be a fight. There will be a fight. And I don't think the flake gate is over yet. Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell. Here is what he said. Uh, He went, again, making his media rounds, right, yesterday. And he went on CBS this morning, today, on Thursday, CBS this morning. And he said that this is the Tom Brady four-game suspension that was reinstated. It was, quote, the end of the matter, end quote. He said this is the end. He said it's over. Let me read you the quote. Goodell said, It was the right decision in accordance with the Court of Appeals. I think this is the end of the matter. We're moving on and focusing on the draft. The court was very clear on the fact that the suspension was reinstated, that it should not have been overturned in the first place last summer by the district court. That's Roger Goodell this morning. Then you go back to yesterday. Roger Goodell. Um, He goes on Fox Sports 1 with Colin Coward. And here's what Goodell said. Say, quote, There was an independent investigation on this and an independent report that was presented to me, and that's what we based the judgment off of. And then we had a hearing. We had a process that is articulated in our collective bargaining agreement that has been there for several decades. End quote. So, there's a couple problems with some of the things Goodell's saying. One, he says this is the end of the matter, and that's wrong. It's not, because Brady's going to continue to fight it. Two, he keeps pounding his chest about this independent investigation, which, as we know from Tom Brady's appeal, the NFL basically admitted that it wasn't an independent investigation. Because when Judge Richard Berman was grilling the NFL's lawyers in that courtroom during Tom Brady's appeal, the NFL... lawyers, when asked if it was independent, an independent investigation, they never said, yes, it was independent. They never said, no, it wasn't independent. What they said was, with all due respect, Judge Richard Berman, it doesn't have to be independent. That's what they said. They said in the CBA, it doesn't say that an investigation has to be independent. Basically admitting that it wasn't independent. Okay? So, Anytime you hear Roger Goodell say it was independent, he's lying. The NFL, in a court of law, already, already admitted, essentially, that it wasn't independent. So he's lying. Then, you know, it, I guess you come back to, because re, you read all these quotes that he's been saying the last couple of days, Roger Goodell, as he's celebrating this victory over Tom Brady. And here's something else he said. Here's something else he said, because he was asked about the money that was spent by the NFL, which was estimated 20 million on the air pressure and footballs. all comes back to the air pressure in football, basically saying how do you the question was how do you explain all the money that you spent 20 million on the air pressure and footballs?" Here's Roger Goodell's answer to that. He says, quote, "This wasn't about the actual violation. This was about the rights we had negotiated in our collective bargaining agreement that we had in our collective bargaining agreement and that we wanted to make sure that we retained. If we decide to negotiate with the union on those issues and decide to trade those, that's certainly within the rights of both of the management council and the players to do that. But this is something about retaining those rights that we negotiated. End quote. So, Goodell says, this fight that he continues to fight That he believes right now he's victorious and, you know, it does look like for the time being, he is victorious right now because of the ruling that was made on Monday that reinstates Tom Brady's four-game suspension. You got the draft tonight, the first round, and the Patriots do not have a first-round pick. I'm sure they've already paid the fine, right? So it does look right now that all the punishment Goodell put into place is reinstated. And that right now, Roger Goodell is winning this battle. He's winning the fight. But the question is, you know, how do you justify the fight? Why did you fight this till the very end? And what he said during his little media celebration for this victory he thinks he has, he comes out and says, well, we're fighting this, and and the fight's not about the actual violation of the air pressure in footballs. He says... The fight is about the power and the authority that I have as the commissioner, the power and the authority that I am retaining here because it's my right to do whatever I want because that's what the CBA allows me to do, and I am going to fight for my rights in the CBA. And that's the only thing that we're fighting. We're not fighting the violation. We're not fighting the air pressure of footballs. Now, look, I think he's covering his ass for any potential PSI numbers that they recorded last year that could come out and basically, you know, tell us that, well, the ideal gas law is is right and and the NFL really screwed that one up when it comes to facts that they don't have in the flake. Eh? Roger Goodell is saying this isn't about air pressure anymore. This is about me and my power and my authority. And look, I wrote a column in the Boston Metro. It's going to be in the paper tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be online probably later today in which I talk about this power that Roger Goodell has. I've mentioned it a couple of times this week. But I mean, since Roger Goodell now is coming out publicly and, and, and basically admitting that it's not about PSIs anymore, that it is about what I told you it was about, which is his power and defending his power, his right to, to have this much power. I think, look, at some point, we're going to have to accept it. That's been my biggest fear since day one is that somebody somewhere in some court, and we see it now with two of these three judges in this federal appeals court on Monday when they made this ruling, two of these three judges, my biggest fear is that some of these judges are going to look at this and go, you know what? Yeah, the punishment is unfair. Sure, the punishment's unfair. But, and and, and you know what? The, The commissioner does have too much power it's and it's it's very broad and it's excessive but because the CBA gives him the right to have this much power, nobody can take that away from him, not even Judge Richard Berman so we have to reinstate the penalty. see I don't think like I I honestly don't believe the federal appeals court is I don't think they're convinced that this was a fair punishment. I don't think they're saying that. And let me read you a quote from this appeals court on Monday that, that sort of uh, defends my argument on that. The court said, quote, Even if an arbitrator makes mistakes of fact or law, we may not disturb an award so long as he acted within the bounds of his bargained for authority. End quote. I mean, that's basically saying, it, 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 even if it's unfair, This is the power and the authority that this guy has. And it was bargained for authority in the collective bargaining agreement. And that's what Roger Goodell's saying today. And that's what my column is about in the Boston Metro. And I guess that's been my point all week is that, okay, at some point we got to accept the fact that Roger Goodell is fighting this fight because he's now pounding his chest because he's basically protecting his own power and trying to retain his authority that he fought for in CBA negotiations and was rewarded with. The, the the players' union gave him that gave him this right. They gave him this power. So uh, you you know I don't know how sympathetic you want to be to the players. Yeah, I'd like to see them stepping up and speaking out like Drew Brees did yesterday, and I talked about that on yesterday's podcast. But at the same time, we we do have to come to the acceptance of Roger Goodell has this power. He can do this. He can be the judge, jury, executioner, and we just have to live with it. Is it unfair? Of course it is. Is Is it? Is it so unfair that it's basically corrupt? Absolutely. It's corrupt. It's, it's, it's overwhelming power. So overwhelming that this is basically corruption at its finest. It is. But if we're going to accept that, if we're going to accept the power the commissioner has, then guess what? That's not, that shouldn't be where this conversation ends. It shouldn't just be acceptance. Okay, he's got the power. He can do it. Let's move on. And I'm not speaking for just myself. I'm speaking for owners. I should, you know, I, I'm speaking to owners. Players, executives, GMs, coaches, fucking ball boys, fam, you name it. Anybody in the buildings at any NFL stadium. I'm speaking to them. This is for them too. All right, acceptance. This is the power he has? Fine. But that's not where the conversation ends. The conversation needs to continue. Okay, Kamish, Goodell, you have all this power, right? Here's what we got to do. We got to use that power in in the right places, and we got to use it in the right spots. We can't just use it at any point, at any time, because we might not like an organization, or we might have owners that want to go after other organizations. We can't just, we can't abuse that power. You can have a lot of power. So much so that it's overwhelming and it's borderline corrupt. But let's use it in the right spots. Let's pick our spots. Let's use it in the right places. And right now, my biggest beef with the flake eight, if Goodell is fighting this because he's fighting to protect his power, protect his authority, he, he's fighting to protect his authority in all the wrong places. Because I pointed out several times this week the Greg Hardy situation. And, and and Roger Goodell had an opportunity to use this power that he's fighting in the Greg Hardy appeal. And he didn't do it. He let a neutral arbitrator handle that. And what did the arbitrator do? Took the 10-game suspension for Greg Hardy and knocked it down to four. Knocked it down to four. You know what four is? Four is the same number of games that Tom Brady suspension as of right now will be. And the idea that you're using your power and continue to fight and defend and protect and retain this authority that will hand one guy a four-game suspension for air pressure in footballs and another guy a four-game suspension for beating his girlfriend and throwing her on, on a bed full of guns is embarrassing and should be embarrassing to you, not just as a commissioner, but as a league. Like, as a league, okay? If I'm an owner in the NFL, even if I hate the Patriots, and I know that Greg Hardy's getting four games, and Tom Brady's getting four games, I'm embarrassed by that. Like, there is a legitimate embarrassment level that goes along with this. It's a joke. There's only one criminal in this conversation out of the two NFL players that I just named. And if you need to, if you need to, if you need me to grab your hand and lead you to the criminal out of these two players, Brady or Greg Hardy, then you probably shouldn't be able to walk out in public by yourself. And you're probably a criminal yourself. <laughs> right? You've probably got some issues. Greg Hardy's the criminal here, folks. Tom Brady is not. It's time that the NFL, if they're gonna use this power and retain this power and protect this authority that the commissioner has, that he has in the CBA, they better start using it in the right places. Because what they're doing right now is they're using it in all the wrong places. And that's what pisses me off the most with Deflategate, and I just hope that it pisses off some other people around the NFL, even owners that hate the Patriots, even owners that tonight are throwing a celebration, not because they get a good first-round pick, but they're throwing a celebration because they don't have to see Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, or any Patriots logo involved in their league for one night. They're loving it. Loving it. Loving it. But even those people that are loving it, man, it's time for them to step up, talk to Roger Goodell. And I told you, yesterday, don't hide behind anonymous labels. Let's go. Do the Drew Brees way. Step up and say something's wrong here. All right, we get it. You fought this to the very end. And I know people want to talk about settlement. No, 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 no. No settlement. Y- they shouldn't be suspended, Tom Brady. They shouldn't be. But yet they will. Or at least they're going to keep trying to. And I'm just telling you that some people need to maybe step up and 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 talk to the commish. Even and I'm talking about those people that hate the Patriots. Because what's happening right now? Goodell is coming out and even saying, "Well, it's not about you know, it's not about the actual violation. It's it's about my rights and my power that I was rewarded in the CBA negotiations. They gave it to me. I can use it." Nobody, at this point, I'm accepting that he can use it. There's nothing you can do about that. There is something you can do about when you use it. And right now, they're using that power in all the wrong places. So, that's what pisses me off the most about the flake gate. We'll see if anything changes. Any updates uh, that we get on that? Maybe on the fight that Brady's going to put up? I'll react to it as that situation moves forward because it is not over. It is not over. But moving on from gate for the time being. As I wrap up this show today on this Thursday afternoon, last night the Red Sox won their fourth straight game. They defeat the Atlanta Braves nine to four at Fenway. You get a grand slam from Dustin Pedroia in the second inning that put the Red Sox up six to one. It was a a pitch that he took the other way, and everybody was laughing because it went off Pesky's Pole. Off the pole in right field. And, um, you know, it's not, it's kind of a cheap home run. You know what I mean? So they're laughing about it. They get a grand slam out of it. They jump out on top six to one. You got Stephen Wright on the mound, who gets his second win of the season. Seven innings for the knuckleballer, Stephen Wright, who's only in the rotation because Eduardo Rodriguez began the season on the DL with a knee injury. Uh, Steven right now, 2-2 two and on two a year with a 1.37 ERA. Right last night, seven innings, allowed only three hits, uh, two runs, only one of them earned. Walked three guys and struck out eight. He threw 116 pitches. They got Ryan Hannigan behind the plate. Struggles at times with him. But I love how Ryan Hannigan describes it and describes catching the knuckleball. He says, it's, it's a series. Because, you know, that ball's moving around like crazy. And last night it was moving around wild. But Ryan Hannigan, the catcher for the Red Sox, he says, I would describe it like this. It's a series of very small victories, w- which is right. A series of very small victories. <laughs> Steven Wright has pitched great. He's not the ace of the staff, but I'll tell you what's going on. Because Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be back soon. So is Kostin Smith. Costin Smith is almost ready to go, right, out of the bullpen. But I tell you where we're going with this, because as much as look, I think in a perfect world, Stephen Wright is like this long reliever for you in situations in which you know you're still looking to keep a game close, but you're not looking to keep it close by bringing in your top dogs, like because you know what type of offense you have, you know it's relentless. You know even if you're down five runs and your starting pitcher doesn't have it, right? You'd like to put someone in that can minimize the damage even at that point. Where maybe you can chip away because you know you have an exciting offense that can do that and get you in a game maybe by the eighth and the ninth inning that you maybe have still have a chance to win. Steven Wright in a perfect world would be that guy to come in. But he's so good now in the rotation that I I don't know that you can take him out of it. So but I'm not I'm not leaving Eduardo Rodriguez out of the rotation when he gets back. He's going in. What I'm doing is, with Joe Kelly in the DL, I think Joe Kelly might be a guy going to the bullpen. Honestly, that might be the move. It's a move that a lot of people in this town have, have said to me they want to see. I've been hesitant. But right now, that's just the way things are working out. Stephen Wright has forced his way into the rotation, at least forced his way to stay in the rotation once he was slid into that spot with Eduardo Rodriguez going down. But that doesn't mean when Eduardo gets back, I'm I'm keeping him out of the rotation. Rodriguez is going in. Joe Kelly, right now, Kelly's going the bullpen, or the minor leagues. <laughs> That's one or the other. That's how good Stephen Wright is right now. But the Red Sox last night more runs early. They win it nine to four. The Sox now they look to sweep this four game set with Atlanta. They they two in Atlanta, and then two here in Boston. Before a weekend series with the Yankees begins tomorrow night. Clay Buchholz on the mound tonight against Atlanta. Uh, He will go up against Atlanta righty Yolis Chassin. Uh, Chassin, he does not throw very hard. Um, What's he He throws like 88, 89. Red Sox should be able to jump all over him. Buchholz, though... The Red Sox have yet to win a game in which Buckholtz has started this year. Buchholz, it the long ball's hurting him. Oh, the home runs are hurting him. Nine of the 15 earned runs that Buckholtz has allowed this year have come off of home runs. And you know the last one that he had against Houston in which Buchholz pitched very well. In fact, outside of that one bad pitch that was die-high middle in to the lefty colby rasmus that was a grand slam in houston the other day buckholtz's last two starts has looked like a very good pitcher a very confident pitcher i expect vasquez behind the plate again tonight i expect buckholtz to be confident and have a i expect him to have a good start i'm putting my money in the red Sox tonight with buckholtz on the mound i i i think he's looked that good outside of that pitch to rasmus against houston the other day i think buckholtz has looked very good lately for this Red Sox team. And this Atlanta offense is not an offense that should change that for him. And I do think the Christian Vasquez effect with someone like Buckholtz is real. It is. Vasquez is confident behind the plate. And because of that, I think that confidence that Vasquez oozes, his ability to throw runners out, I think Buckholtz, someone like Buckholtz, who sometimes is a head case, I think he sees that. I think it rubs off on him. And I, I think he begins to throw and pitch with conviction. I do, because of the kid behind the plate and the confidence that he shows. So, uh, Red Sox tonight, I'll react to this tomorrow. But as I told you, my priority is on the Boston Celtics at home. Game six, win or go home. Win or the season's over. The Celtics will win tonight. They will find a way to force a game seven, which will be Saturday night in Atlanta. I'll react to it all tomorrow. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere podcasts are available. I've been told it's available on the Google Play Music Store, though I can only find it on the computer. For some reason, it won't work on the app on my phone, but I have an iPhone, so maybe that's why. I'm not so sure, but you can search it, Danny Picard Show, and download and subscribe whenever you want. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like me on Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.